Amen, amen. Anybody love Jesus one more time? Give him a big shout of praise all over this house. You go ahead and have a seat, have a seat, have a seat. Man, I'm so glad that you're here, so thankful for you. Don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. I, I, I really like this series that we're in. Uh, and really what we do as a church is we kind of just break stuff down in series mode. So we'll take something, we'll walk down through it together. And it's just kind of a few weeks to kind of pair up together. Maybe you've missed the last couple weeks. It's okay if you've missed it. It's fine. Uh, I'm really glad you're here today. You can go check those out. And Pastor Kyle had a chance to bring the word last Sunday. And grateful for him. Aren't you grateful for Kyle and Pastor Kyle on our staff, our team? Come on, show some love to him. So thankful for him and that word that he brought us last week about the church of Smyrna. This week we're going to be talking about a church known as at Pergamum. And again, let's just take a little bit of context. Let's kind of back it up a little bit and talk about what we're in in this series that we're talking through called Seven. So the book of Revelation, how many of us would be honest that, again, it's one of those books that you are treading lightly when it comes to reading. Come on, somebody, wave at me. We can all be truthful in church. I think a lot of us would say, you know what, Revelation, I'll save that for another day. I'm going to save that for another time. Maybe if I got a little bit more, I, I, I don't know, a little bit more like time to be able to read it and work through it. And again, I think a lot of us may have grown up that way. We may have grown up with this idea that, hey, it's scary, it's confusing, there's angels, there's battles, there's flaming swords, there's six eyes, there's all of this stuff that's going on, right? And again, we can sometimes tend to avoid that, but I just believe what God is calling us to today is actually just to open it up because there is an incredible promise at the very beginning of Revelation that we got to see and we talked about it a few weeks ago but there's an incredible promise that's there that if you open this if we will read it and the one watch what the bible says in verse number three of revelation chapter one it says god blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church and he blesses all of those who listen to its message and obeys what it says for the time is near so and i just got to thinking about it again this blessing is at the very beginning of revelation god gives us this promise promise that if we'll study, if we'll apply this word that we see in Revelation, that a blessing is coming. How many of us are ready for a blessing today as we open God's word? Come on. I'm ready for that. I'm ready for the Lord to speak to us. And again, the author of this book called Revelation is this guy by the name of John. And he's like the last man standing. He was the last one of Jesus' disciples that was still alive on earth. And guess what he was doing? He was still preaching Jesus. He was still telling everybody about the miracles of Jesus. He was willing to do all of that. And they wanted to get rid of John. They ultimately wanted to get rid of the name of Jesus. So they take John and they send him to some island somewhere called Patmos. And what he does is he gets a vision from God. And he begins to write this stuff down, and this is what we see right here in the book of Revelation. It is the longest letter in the New Testament, and he starts it out by addressing seven churches. So we started week one talking about the church at Ephesus. Last week, we started talking about the church at Smyrna. This week, we're going to talk about the church at Pergamum. Come on, everybody say Pergamum. That's just a fun word to say, isn't it, right? It's just a fun name to say. Well, Pergamum was actually a city. You need to understand that Pergamum was a city, and it was one of the most illustrious cities in Asia Minor, where Paul, or where, where John is writing these letters to. And again, you need to realize that, that Pergamum was the capital city. Like, just imagine for a second. Think about Paris or London. Anybody ever been there before? Come on. I've never been there. I can't wait. Not Paris, Tennessee. I'm talking about Paris across the pond. Come on, somebody, right? Like, like, I, I, like, I've never been there, but I, I, I can imagine just the vibe that's in the city, right? Just this, just this excitement. Man, the love is in the air in Paris, right? Like, you just, oh, man, there's just something there that's going on. Imagine that for a second. That's Pergamum. 
That's what we're thinking about. That's what we're talking about. Pergamum had that. And again, they also thought of themselves as very smart. They were a smart city. And, it, and not, not just like a smartphone, but just they had a lot. They actually had the second largest um, a library in the known world at that time. Second largest library, 200,000 handwritten manuscripts, right? That's a lot of writing. Come on, how many of y'all would love to do that? I wouldn't. I would not like to write that much. But they're, they're, saying, they're saying, hey, you know what? We have a lot going on in the city. There's a lot happening right here in Pergamum. And we see Jesus start off by talking to them. And he says this, write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. And so Jesus starts out this letter pretty strong, right? Starts it out pretty strong to this church. He says, hey, there's this double-edged sword. And I just love a little context to it. Did you realize that the symbol for the entire city, did you know, was a sword? Did you know that? Did you, you maybe not have known that. I had to look that up this week. But the symbol of the city was a sword. And what would happen with that sword? It represented authority and it represented judgment. And again, so they thought, and what they thought was, hey, you know what? We're kind of in charge here. We're kind of all about ourselves. And watch what Jesus starts out by saying. Jesus was communicating to them right from the very beginning that, hey, I'm stronger and I'm better and more powerful than anybody that's coming out of Pergamum. I'm going to let y'all know. I got a double-edged sword. I got two swords on the same sword. Come on, somebody, right? And I'm reminded of the scripture when it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God, and we know that the word obviously is Jesus because he came from God. The word of God is alive and powerful. Also, this book right here is the author is alive and powerful, and it's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting through bone and marrow, soul and spirit, and it, and, and it exposes our innermost thoughts and desire. And I just love that Jesus starts this out by letting everybody know, hey, I'm Jesus. I'm the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I'm ultimately the judge. I'm ultimately the one with all the authority. Do not fear people of Pergamum. Do not fear city of Pergamum. Do not fear church at Pergamum. Fear the sword of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, not anything else. And guess what? I just got to remind you, I'm coming back for you. Right? That's what Jesus, he's using some intense language as he starts this letter to the church at Pergamum. And I want us to see that he's trying to get them to understand, yo, y'all are in a battle. Like you're in the battle of your faith, right? And what we saw last week and the week before is that the church at Ephesus and Smyrna, they were feeling all the pressure from the outside. Right? Lots of pressure and external oppression. And guess what? The people at Pergamum at this church were also feeling that. They were experiencing op opposition from the outside, but there was also some things going on on the inside. There's some things happening on the inside, and what we find out, and what I want you to write down, kind of just the, the thing that I think when it comes to paraphrasing the church at Pergamum, the church at Pergamum was a confused church. They were a confused church. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about what that looks like. And I think, again, what we'll do is we'll make sure that we say, hey, uh, let's not be like the church at Pergamum. Let's learn from their, their, what they did right and what Jesus commended them for. But also let's learn from their mistakes. Let's learn from where God calls them out and what Jesus calls them out on. So I got a few things I want you to write down when he's talking to this church that is confused. Because Jesus starts out, and I, I kind of had this same uh, kind of uh, outline a few weeks ago of something that Jesus would commend and then something that he would call out. So we're going to look at one of those on each of those. So Jesus would commend their loyalty, right? So I want you to write that down. Jesus commends their loyalty. I love the fact that right there in verse number 13, 
Jesus literally is speaking to the church, and he says, hey, I know that you live in a city where Satan has his throne, yet what? You've remained loyal to me, right? That's what he says. Uh, You refuse to deny me, even when Antipas, which a lot of people believe that that was the pastor of the church, he was martyred, he was killed for his faith right there in Satan's city. And Jesus looks at this church and says, hey, you know what? You're living where Satan has a throne. Come on, somebody. I know it's been hotter than you know where outside. Come on, somebody. But, like, how bad does it got to be for Jesus to look at that church and say, yo, Satan is in that city. Like, how bad does it got to be? Like, think about that for just a second. Anybody ever met those Christians that the devil's in everything? Come on, somebody. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, you grew up in church like that? Okay, my car won't start. It's the devil. Well, you got to put gas in your car. Come on, somebody, right? I didn't think it's the devil. Oh, oh, man, the devil, boy, he's in. I lost my job. It must be the devil. No, dude, you didn't show up on time for three months straight. Come on, somebody, right? Like, everybody messed up. I, I, had, a, I had a service that we were at when I was in high school, and uh, it was a church service, and all of a sudden, like, something happened in the service, and all the lights went down, everything happened, and all of a sudden, there was a person about six rows back, says, somebody... That must be the devil. And I got to thinking, no, somebody accidentally unplugged the cord. Come on, somebody, right? Like, like that's literally what happened. And, and I think so many times we, we can kind of give the devil too much credit. But what we see right here is the fact that Jesus is saying, hey, y'all are living in a city and Satan has a throne right in the middle of it. I heard a story one time uh, of this guy that would talk about uh, the, the devil, right? The devil, D-E-V-I-L, ooh, devil. Right? Ooh, man, the devil is a liar. The de- Ooh, and if you take off the D of devil, you got evil. Ooh, he is evil now. Come on, somebody. He is evil. Boy, if you take the E off the devil, you got vile. And boy, ooh, he is a vile. Ooh, you're going to live vile if you were following the devil. Ooh, me. Listen, you take off the V of vile and you got ill. Ooh, you're going to be sick if you're following after the devil. Ooh, you're going to be ill. You take off the I off of ill and you, go, you got L, and that's where you're going to spend eternity if you don't follow Jesus. Come on, somebody. So listen, I want I, I to clarify something really quick. I, I, I think, I don't think the devil's everywhere, but I do think the devil is in some things. And I want us to understand that as believers, guess what? You're going to come up against the strategies, the plans, and the scheme of the devil. But you need to be reminded today on July 4th weekend that you need to be reminded that no matter the plan, the scheme, the weapon that is formed against you, that none of it shall prosper. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Because you are an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. Come on, if we believe that, can we give God a big shout of praise in this place? Like, listen. So Jesus, what's he doing? He's commending their loyalty. Man, listen, I see you. I see what you're doing. I see where you live. And where you live, the enemy has set up a throne. He set up a camp there. Why why would Jesus say that? Why would he speak to them like that? Well, if you go back and study a little bit of context, and in the bottom of my Bible, it talks about it a little bit. Like this right here, Pergamum was the center for four idolatrous cults. That there was literally pagan worship happening for little g-gods all over the place. The temple of Zeus was there. The temple of Dionysus and Eclipius and Athena. They were all literally right there in this city and, and literally were proud of it. 
And so what's happening is they're surrounded by worship for these false gods. And then on top of that, the Roman emperor is saying, hey, you need to worship me as a god. And so there's just tons of moral godlessness and not following after God. And, but, but Jesus is saying, hey, I see that around you, and yet you're still staying strong in the middle of it. And isn't it cool that Jesus realizes that they live in a dark city, but they never call, he never calls them to leave that place. I love that so much about Jesus, and I think that should encourage some of us in this room today that just because it may be dark all around you doesn't mean that God doesn't have a purpose for you in that job, in that classroom, in that family, on that campus, in this city, in this country. Come on, if there's anybody in this place that believes God has a purpose for their life, come on, give them a big shout of praise in this place. Come on, if the devil, though, listen... He can't, he, like, I want, us to, I want us to understand, Jesus commends their loyalty right there in the middle of what is going on around them, right in the middle of all of that. On the outside, man, they had it all together. And watch this, if the devil can't crush you, watch what he'll try to do. He'll try to corrupt you from the inside. So watch this, watch what I want to see, because Jesus commends them, but then Jesus gets them right, too. He tells them something, hey, hey, hey listen to me, but I got some things against you. And so Jesus calls out, this next word I want you to write down is compromise. So Jesus calls out their compromise. And this idea of compromise, what is that? Well, that's the idea of blending like the qualities of two or more viewpoints into the same thing. Right, so that's really what compromise is. And what Jesus does, he calls them out, he says in verse 14, but I got some complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. That's an Old Testament story. We're not going to really get into that a whole lot today, but I want you to know that what happened there was he was tricking people into like doing things that they knew they weren't supposed to, like, like literally living a life and doing things that were, that were literally pulling people away from God. So he's telling them, hey, listen, I, I see that you're doing that. And he's teaching them to like do things that, that are offered to idols, like eat food that's offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. So like these people are giving their bodies over to things that they know are not right. And he tells them in verse 15, in a similar way, you have some of the Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. And so what was happening was that the church was withstanding the pressure from the outside but they were finding compromise and deception with inside, within the church. So these Nicolaitans, they were believers. Right? These were people that had compromised their faith. Watch this. In order to enjoy some of the sinful practices of the things that were going on in their day. That they were willing to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to use grace. I've experienced grace. And I'm going to use it as a license to do whatever I want to do. And the Bible says, if you go back and study the Nicolaitans, what they were doing is they were taking ideology from this religion, that religion, what this culture would say, what that part of culture would say, and they were mixing it with Christian theology, and they were saying, oh, you can do whatever you want. You go live however you want. You eat whatever you want. You sleep with whoever you want, because it doesn't matter, because we've experienced grace and I just got this thing to say, it's one thing to struggle with sin, it's another thing to change God's word to try and cater to your sin. And I just got this thing, the lies, they're creeping into the church and the corruption's happening within and they're beginning to think, I can do whatever I want with my body, however I want, whenever I want, had made its way into their theology at the time. 
And I got to thinking about that. And I, I got to thinking, if you'll allow me for a second to just preach it, kind of kind of what I'm feeling a little bit. If you're a follower of Jesus, there is no such thing as it's just my body. I want to tell you that no, your body was bought with a high price, and you are no longer your own. You are a temple of the living God, and I don't get to do whatever I want with this body. No, I I don't worship my body. I use my body to worship the one that gave his life for me. That's what we do. So don't get it twisted. This is what I want you to write down. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is actually an invitation to live freely. So grace is not a license to sin. Grace is an invitation to live freely. How many of y'all remember getting your driver's license back in the day? Come on, for some of us, it's been a few years from now. You know what I'm saying? Got a few gray hairs. Been a few years since you got your license, okay? My, my sister and brother-in-law and family are here from Louisville. Come on, I love y'all. So thankful for you here. My Marcus, my man Marcus. Man, I'm just going to speak over his life for just a second. That boy right there wanted to sit right there because he believes he's going to be a preacher and a pastor one day. And I just believe that. And I just got to give Marcus, my, I got my nieces are in the back there in Purpose Kids, but man, he wanted to be out here hanging with Uncle Dustin Al on the front row because boy, he's got an incredible, my, my little guy's from Ethiopia, and Lord, what he's brought you from in the middle of what you've come through, and you're in this place today, it is nothing more than the grace of God, and I'm so thankful to be your uncle, I love you a whole bunch, you're going to crush it, dude, you're going to crush it, I love you. So, so, I, I just want to just, again, just for a second, to kind of go back in our years a few uh, a little bit when I got my license for the first time. Come on, I've talked about it many times before. How many of y'all were the kind that you were showing up the day they offered you to take the test? Come on, somebody. Right, I was there. I was ready. Like, I, I was getting that freedom. I was getting that license. Like, I was going to do whatever I could to make sure I could drive anywhere I wanted to go. And I've told you all about my 1998 Grand Prix. Come on, somebody. Windows rolling down, except the back one got stuck down, and so I had to duct tape it up, but we won't talk about that. And uh, uh, sunroof, I was ready to go, you know. And I, I just remember those days of getting my license. And I think about the license that we got to drive Like, it is a license to drive, not a license to crash, right? Think about it for just a second. Can you imagine if after lunch today, and you go out, if I went out and took my license, and I I go out on 641, come on, how many of y'all know at 12 o'clock on a weekday on 641, you got to have the patience of the Lord and the Holy Spirit in your car. Come on, somebody. Because if you're trying to get from this side of town to that side of town, it takes all the 20 minutes. Come on. I know that that's like, okay, it's not a whole lot, but for us in Murray, it is a whole lot. Come on, right? I can drive to Mayfield in 20 minutes, you know what I mean? Like, I get across town, okay? So, like, I, I just telling you, can you imagine for a second, I go out, and I'm driving recklessly like a madman on 641, and I'm driving like that, all of a sudden, I cause a 10-car pileup crash. You imagine that really quick? Right there in front of the KFC, right? Can you imagine for a second? Right in front of the KFC, boy, people mad they want their chicken. Right there in front of KFC. Can you imagine for a second if I got out the car and be like, hey, 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 it's okay, I got a driver's license. Come on, somebody. I got a license. It's cool. Like, I can do whatever I, can do whatever I want. Y'all would look at me like, bro, you were crazy, right? You're confused. You got it twisted, right? Wouldn't y'all do that? That would be crazy for somebody to do that. Yet we see right here in Scripture, this is the exact same, that's the same thing that's happening. That grace is actually an invitation to, re, uh, to, to literally live freely. It's not an opportunity to crash intentionally. And grace doesn't just forgive me, it actually transforms me. 
Like, like I, I, I experienced grace. Yes, I experienced it when I was saved, for the, when, I, when I gave my life to Jesus. In that moment, I experienced his grace. But it is working on me every single day. Y'all remember that song, he's still working on me, make me what I ought to be. There's all the people that went to Sunday school right there, all three of us in the room. Come on, somebody, right? So, so, so there is this thing that's happening. Grace just isn't a one-time event that happens. Yes, it is in justification, but the rest of my life, I'm being literally sanctified, becoming more and more like Jesus. And they were taking the truth of God's word, these people were, and they were twisting it to fit their lifestyle. And I got to thinking about that. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 6. He says this, sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law, but instead you live under the freedom of God's grace. So you've got a license. I mean, you've, you've, gotten, the, you've gotten the grace card. Watch what he says. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean that we can just go on sinning? Watch what he says. Of course not. Of course not. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm just grateful today that the grace of Jesus has set me free, that you might not be where you want to be, but thanks be to God that His grace, that you are not where you used to be, that His grace has forgiven you, that it set you free, that it's given you a hope and a future and is transforming you and making you to be more like Jesus every day. Come on. Is there anybody thankful in this place for the grace of God? Is there anybody thankful that you're not the same that you used to be, but God has saved you and He's calling you to something greater than where you're at? Listen, they were confused, and God says, to, or Jesus says to the church at Pergamum, hey, listen to me, <clears throat> don't get it twisted. I, I see your loyalty, like where, where you could deny me in public, but I commend you that you're not. But then on the other hand, you're acting like what I did on the cross isn't a very big deal, and you're being flippant with grace and doing whatever you want in private. And I feel like Jesus would look at them and look at us and say, hey, listen, some of you honor me with your lips in public, but you're denying me with your lifestyle in private. And I just want to challenge that today. Because again, if Satan can't crush you, he will try to corrupt you, get you to compromise, get you to be deceived from the inside out. And Satan loves to take the truth and twist the idea of truth. He loves to get you to compromise it by telling you and I, hey, hey, live your own truth. Do your own thing. Go on your feelings. If you think it, if you feel it, then just go ahead and do it. And I think so many of us today are confused on what truth really is. But the way that we can fight corruption, the way that we can fight compromise, the way that we cannot be deceived and is to live with a little bit of conviction. And listen to me, a little conviction that we have as a church is that if you want to know the truth, guess what? The truth can be found in God's word. That, 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 that God's word is truth. See, John 17, 17 tells us, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is what? Come on, somebody say truth. Which is truth. Oh, oh y'all are that wild church, aren't you? Yeah, y'all are that wild church. Somebody laughed, and I like that. Yes, Kevin, I like that you laughed at that. That's what we hear a lot. Oh, man, y'all are that wild church. Listen, our worship may be a little loud, and we may be a little bit excited about what Jesus has done, but our message is that good old gospel, that God's word does not change, that culture may change, it may shift, but God doesn't. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we're going to live based on his word. And listen to me. But what we can begin to do if we're not careful 
is we can find ourselves a lot like the Nicolaitans, a lot like the church at Pergamum, looking around at culture and twisting scripture to fit around our lifestyles, our choices, our feelings, rather than wrapping our lives around the truth of God's word. And what can happen is we can begin to find ourselves saying, well, I don't feel like blank. I don't feel like taking up my cross and following Jesus. I don't feel like serving others. I don't feel like honoring my spouse. I don't feel like praising God. I don't feel like living purely. I don't feel like living sober-minded. I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like giving of my time, talent, and treasure. And maybe I just came to just remind you today that our feelings are not facts. If we followed our feelings, listen, I told you this a few weeks ago, Allie and I wouldn't be married because there's days that we feel like, oh, you know what? We don't necessarily love, like, like the, the feeling is not always there. Come on, somebody. All the married people know what I'm talking about, right? It's a choice that we have to make. Feelings are not facts. We're not called to live based on how we feel. We're called to live based on the truth of what God's word says. And listen to me. I might not feel like serving others, but the Bible says that Christ came not to be served, but to, to serve. And I am called to imitate Christ Jesus. I might not feel like honoring Allie as my spouse, but God's word says to me that Jesus loves the church, and I'm supposed to love my wife that way, and I'm to lay my life down for her. I might not feel like tithing, but I know that God's word says that where my treasure is, there my heart is also, and I don't want my money to have my heart. I want God to have it. I might not feel like praising God in this season, but God's word says to praise the Lord at all times, in season and out of season. I might not feel like an overcomer, but, but God's word says that I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. See, listen, we need to live based on how we feel, not how we feel, but based on what God is saying. And the Word of God is truth. And the Word of God has final authority in our lives. And listen, as I begin reading this, there are things in here that I think are hard. There are things in here that are not convenient. There are things in here that require me to change. But I'm not called to rewrite God's Word. I'm called to obey it and live it. That's what we're called to do. That's what I'm called to do. And I just, I, I got to thinking last night about how can I illustrate this? How can I illustrate what's going on? I'm a big visual learner. And so I got to thinking about James chapter 1, verse 22. And this is what the Bible talks about. This is what it talks about when it talks about the truth of God's word. It says this, don't just listen to God's word. Watch what it says. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and you don't obey it, guess what it's like? It's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then, somebody say then, then God will bless you for doing it. I got to thinking about it. I got to think of that God's word is a mirror. And the Bible says that God's word is a mirror. And the Bible is the only book in the Bible. Come on, how many people can I blind right now? I'm so sorry. This is too much fun. This is not, I should not have this right now. Oh, there it is. Okay, okay. So, so I got to thinking about it. Like God's word is a mirror. And the Bible is the only book, in, like literally in all of history, in the entire universe that is living and active. And as we read the word, the word begins to read us back, right? And one of the best things that I can encourage you to do is that culture may tell you to live a certain way, but what does God's word have to say? What does God's word have to say to you? Because as you get in the word, it's going to begin to shape your life. 
So nowadays, people want the Bible to bend and twist around what they want. And we don't, here's the thing, we don't come to the Word of God and try to twist it around my life. I come to my life and I try to twist it around the Word of God. And what happens to us is that many times in our lives, much like the Nicolaitans, what happens is we're looking around at everything else that's going on around us to tell us how we're supposed to live. And I got to thinking about it with this mirror. I got to thinking about the fact that, you know what that really indicates to me? That's like a broken mirror. Right? That's really what that, come on. Nobody believes in luck in here, right? Here we go. So what that really is like is that it is a broken mirror. Sorry, we'll get, that, we'll get that figured out in a second. But I want you to think about this really quick. And again, what happens is we're looking around. Okay, there it comes. There it comes right there. I like that. What happens is, is we begin looking around at the world that's around us, and we don't realize that, guess what? We're looking at a broken world. And we're trying to get truth from a broken world. And I got to thinking last night, man, listen, when you're looking at this mirror right here and you're looking at your reflection and you're trying to make adjustments to your life, guess what? It's jaded. It's imperfect. It doesn't tell the real story. And so I came today to remind us on July 4th weekend, guess what? Stop looking at the broken world for your truth. And listen, even Christians do this. Fellas who profess Jesus begin to shape our lives around what we see in a broken world. What happens is, ladies, you begin to take your compliments and your lifestyle and your self-worth and you begin to shape it around what this broken world says is true. And I just got to come to us today and say, stop looking at the brokenness around you thinking it's going to help get you right because it is not. Because in a broken world filled with shifting opinions and ideas that change with the wind, we can make a, a replacement of that Finding that's not truth. We're not going to be able to find truth in that. We can make a replacement and say, you know, we can find truth in the solid, infallible, unfailing, trustworthy, unwavering, never-changing Word of God. And don't get it twisted. Stop taking your cues from a broken world and start looking to a perfect Word. I need God's truth for my marriage. I need God's truth for my attitude. I need God's truth for the way I think and my mouth and how I speak. And we all need God's word and this is why I'm imploring you right now don't go out into a broken world looking for truth because you'll never find the truth because it's only found in the word of God and listen when you find it you will know the truth and the truth will set you free come on is there any free people in the house today is there anybody that knows God's word and knows what God's word says about them Listen, if you don't know God's truth, listen to me. This last thing I'm going to end on, we're going to land the plane. If you don't know God's truth, you'll be bound by the enemy's lies. And my, I, I think Pergamum, if they would be honest, they would say, hey, you know what? I've, I, I'm bound up. That on the outside, it may look like I got it all together, but on the inside, guess what's happening? Man, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to find, I, I, I'm getting confused myself. I'm, I'm trying to search for something. I'm trying to figure out what it is. And, and on the inside, compromise begins to happen. And I just want to challenge our church today. Listen, in a culture that is constantly shifting, that's constantly telling us what truth may look like, it's distorted. It's not, it's not accurate. It doesn't tell the whole story. But the Word of God does. And again, as I pick up the Bible, that's the only book in the world. As I pick it up, it begins reading me as I'm reading it. 
And I began to see, okay, hey, listen, the mirror is the thing that's going to show me if I have blemishes. If I got any boogers hanging out my nose. Come on, somebody, right? Like, like something in my teeth. And I don't walk away forgetting, but I'll walk away and make appropriate changes that God wants me to. Because this is truth. And there's things in it sometimes that I don't like. There's things in it that challenge me. But I want to challenge us today. Let's not make up our own truth. Kind of like the, the, the church at per- Pergamum did. They're kind of wrapping their truth around what they wanted to live like. How they wanted to live. How they wanted to just continue to, to do the things that they were not supposed to do. And I'm just going to challenge us today. Would we submit fully to the Word of God? And the Word of God tells us right there that, you know what? Hey, Jesus comes to them and says, hey, you know how you get rid of that? you got to repent. you got to repent. 